Hello, I'm Evan Novi Williams. And I'm Mike Lynch. And I'm Michael Barr. And this is the Bloomberg Business of Sports Podcast, where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. Today, we begin with soccer and reports that Premier League players do not want to play during the COVID-19 outbreak, which could be a major blow to the league's hopes of resuming play this year. Evan, can you blame them? I, I can't blame them. And, and you know, I, I wanted to talk about this because, you know, everybody in sports right now, us included, is talking so much about reopening. When are leagues going to do it? You know, the all the major commissioners are on various White House reopening panels. The New York State just announced its reopening panel. And, you know, Randy Levine, Jeff Wilpon, Jim Dolan, sports team owners are all over it. We have not heard much from the Players Association. To my knowledge, when, you know, Roger Goodell or when Adam Silver is on these conference calls with Donald Trump or with other White House personnel, uh, the, the requisite union leader has, has not been on those calls as well. And as a result, you know, I, I think there's maybe a little bit of, of, uh, of uncertainty among fans about where exactly players stand. And you mentioned, Michael, the this Premier League poll, you know, ESPN did it. It sounds like there's a lot of players out there who, who just don't feel fully comfortable coming back. We talked to Happy Walters about this last week, who said that he felt as though NBA players on the whole were, you know, excited to get back and wanted to do it as fast as possible in a safe way, of course. Uh, but, but Mike Lynch, you know, do you think that, you know, we're, we're losing track of players' voices in all this conversation about when and, and how to get sports back up and running? Well, in, in this country, the, vo- the loudest voice and the, and the most powerful voice is the Major League Baseball Players Association. And uh, we already heard from Mike Trout that he doesn't want to uh, participate in this. He's got a wife who's pregnant and doesn't want to be around people who will who he might have to go back into quarantine one after after participating with them. As for the premier players, I don't blame them one bit at all. Uh, they're getting mixed signals. The uh, United Kingdom's in a lockdown right now, yet their uh, minister who, for the culture of, of sport is trying to get the sport back up and running by the end of this week. And, you know, France is canceled, Belgium's canceled, uh, Argentina has, has canceled, and and I don't blame these guys for not wanting to be the uh, sacrificial lambs that are going to go out and say, okay, let's test this and uh, let's hope that none of us uh, comes down with COVID-19. I do wonder if the kind of the player reaction varies heavily by the way in which players get paid. You know, here in the U.S., for the most part, you know, all the big U.S. leagues, players get a set percentage of league revenue. Uh, and if league revenue goes down, player pay goes down. So, so if I'm an NBA player sitting at home, I'm certainly realizing that if you know if if, if league re- if we don't get this season back up and running, if we don't have our playoffs, if we take a huge hit in league revenue this year, that just hurts my pocket. It hurts me and my next contract. It hurts me next year, etc. Soccer, especially European soccer, is structured a little bit differently. Uh, the pay structure isn't so kind of directly tied to the annual ups and downs of league revenue. Uh, so, Michael, yeah, I, I'm curious how, how much we think, you know, the fact that a lot of U.S. sports, you know, certainly the team sports, they, their pay is just so directly tied to the way that these leagues make money that they may be more willing to, I'm not going to say risk their own health, but they may be more more up and eager to get things off the ground now than maybe, you know, counterparts in other sports around the globe aren't. Well, you hit the nail on the head when you said team sports. You're talking a lot of people involved. There's a story out of the Telegraph in Britain where they want to hold boxing matches in a TV studio. 
where it would just be the two boxers and the promoters and, of course, the, the TV crew, which is totally different than when you have a team sport. I could see that, the boxing match, happening. They want to get that around by July, and I could see that happening. Whereas when you talk about uh, a big team sport, I, I, I just don't see that coming in the future. Yeah, a lot of these individual sports, boxing, a good example is, is, is you know, if, if these guys aren't fighting, they're not getting paid, right? So I, I can certainly understand, you know, maybe some, some desire on their end to, to get back up and in the ring as soon as possible. I would guess that as here in the U.S., as we get closer and closer to an actual understanding of how the NBA plans to get its season back off the ground, how the NHL plans to get its season back off the ground, how MLB wants to start its season, I would think at that point we're going to start to hear a little bit more from the players' voices, the players themselves, you know, they have a tremendous amount of leverage when they use it properly. I think we're going to hear them more and more moving forward. Up next, let's talk football rights and media rights with a new deal between Amazon and the NFL. It looks like Amazon will be getting exclusive rights to a Saturday game this season if there is one. <laughs> yeah, this is, I mean, no kind of big surprise here. The NFL is extending its partnership with Amazon, which, you know, for folks who don't know, they get to simulcast a bunch of Thursday night games every year. The big wrinkle, as you just mentioned, Amazon for the first time is getting exclusive rights to three games, one in each of the next three seasons. Um, you know, this is, in my opinion, a big test from the NFL. They want to know if streaming technology is good enough. And I guess in this case, specifically, if Amazon streaming technology is good enough that they can have millions of people around the globe all watching the same game live and not have so much of a, a lag that you can't gamble on the sport live, that you can't be on social media while you're watching because you might, you know, get tipped off to a touchdown that's about to happen. You know, this is all the NFL kind of deeper dipping its toe into this idea to see exactly where the tech can take us. Mike Lynch, how big a deal do you think this kind of next iteration of, of NFL rights is? Well, a lot of people, as we all know, are cutting, uh, cutting the cord with cable. Uh, a lot of us find many of our entertainment uh, shows now on Amazon and Netflix. So this thing, this exclusive thing on Saturday, um, I'm thinking, let's just hypothetically say uh, that Saturday game is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers against the New Orleans Saints. And the only two markets that will get it over the air will be the two participating teams. So um, if you want to watch Drew Brees and Tom Brady, you've got to go and you've got to subscribe to, to Amazon. And I think it's a brilliant move by the, by the NFL. The, the previous deal was worth $65 million, and that just expired. And I can only imagine this thing has gone exponentially higher. Yeah, the, the, the conversations I have with folks about streaming, you know, the big question is, is this technology good enough yet? You know, and mm -hmm. we've seen very high-profile sporting events that are streaming digitally that have pretty severe hiccups. Uh, I, I was very frustrated watching the college football playoff uh, this year, you know, because I was trying to watch it digitally and, and ESPN plus just wasn't working. And at least in my, in my neighborhood with my setup. Um, so, you know, nobody is going to give, and certainly not the NFL, no big sports are going to give Amazon or Facebook or Twitter or Apple a big chunk of exclusive rights until they are 100% certain that the technology is good enough. And I think this is going to let us, uh, let us get there. Michael, when we think about those bigger rights, 
how viable do we think it is for, you know, for those companies once they can show, you know, hey, we, we can do this, we can do it in a way that, that is a seamless transition from, from people's TVs to their computers. You know, do we think then immediately we're going to see Amazon, we're going to see Apple start bidding for the big, big packages? Well, see, here's the thing. It's for young, handsome lads like you, you will love the streaming because that's the <laughs> way you do it now. I got a TV on right now that's not even a flat screen. It's the old tube TV, and it's tuned into Hazel. So, I mean, this is what <laughs> old people do right now. I, I, I'm still not ready to go to streaming yet. I'm just not so sure. I, it's, I, I, I like to sit down in my Barker lounger. I like to watch my TV. And then after Matlock goes off, then I'll go take a nap. So if you're an older guy like me, I'm, I'm just trying to see how receptive people like me are going to be to streaming. I'm really glad you mentioned that because that is the other big question. The NFL, the whole their whole thing is reach. They want to be reaching the widest audience, and that's not just here in the U.S. That's also globally, which is why I think Amazon Prime, you know, works so well for them. But that's the other question. As soon as the NFL gives a big chunk of of exclusive games to Amazon, uh, you're cutting off a, a huge portion of the country and a huge portion of probably your fan base by moving the games into a platform or a technology that they're either not fully comfortable with or, or don't use or don't want to use at all. So that's kind of the other big question. It's, is the technology good enough? And then secondly, how many NFL fans are willing to, to dip into a technology that maybe they don't want to use as much, they're not as comfortable with? How many, how, how many of them are willing to do that? So, so when we get to this Saturday exclusive game later in the year, hopefully if the NFL season uh, proceeds uninterrupted, those are the things the NFL is going to be looking at. How good is the tech? And two, how many people decided to, to migrate their way over to Twitch or over to Amazon Prime so that they could watch it? See, Hazel's still a funny show. Anything you say, <laughs> Mr. B. Uh, and finally, let's talk college now. It looks like the NCAA is considering loosening its rules for athletes to profit from the use of their names, images, and likenesses. Now, obviously, of course, we're going through the coronavirus crisis. But once things are up and running, this could be uh, a big payday for some of these college athletes. Yeah, I mean, I've been I've been kind of waiting for this to happen for a really long time, and you know, I think we should say the NCAA did not get to this point necessarily really willingly. There have been a number of state laws that have kind of pushed them to do it. There have been a number of lawsuits that have also pushed them to do it. But if in January, as the NCAA board says that it will, they approve some sort of of new regulations for athletes to market themselves, you're looking at a, a pretty big kind of tectonic shift in the way that, you know, college athletes are able to make money while they're still in school. You know, these guys can suddenly sign sneaker deals. They can be in advertisements for, you know, local car dealers. They can, you know, have, be an Instagram influencer. They can put out, you know, a live music album with uh, with their name and, and, and recognizing them as a quarterback for the for the University of North Carolina. They can do all those things, which were, they were not allowed to do in the past. Uh, so, so a progressive move. We'll see exactly what the details look like. Um, but, but Mike Lynch, do you agree that this is kind of a, from a, from a sports business standpoint, you know, certainly a big shift in the way that we think about the finances around college sports. 
This is something that's been getting under my skin for a lot of years, and, and it, it just it sort of irritates me. Um, they're all going to school for nothing. They're basically getting, so let's say the average uh, tuition and room and board now is 65000 So they're getting a uh, $260,000 check, basically, to go to school for nothing, while many of the other uh, students, uh, student-athletes that, that, that don't have scholarship programs are paying are paying full full boat. So right there, they're they're two hundred sixty thousand dollars ahead of everybody else. Um, and, and where where is the? I mean, do you want some kid at school that's going to be driving around in a Lamborghini and and, and diamond earrings and flashing you know hundred dollar bills in his pocket? I just I there's got to be some type of regularity. Maybe put the money in a trust uh, until the person graduates from college if they allow them to use their likeness and their name and go to autograph sessions. But to stuff the money into their bank account right now is a 18, 19, 20-year-old in college. Uh, we all were that age, and, uh, you know, if we had more than 10 bucks in our pocket, you know, we felt like we were Joe Millionaire. I, I think this thing has got a lot, lot more wrinkles to be ironed out before, before I'm happy with it. Yeah, it's, it's true, and, and we're going to get all those. I mean, some of the big questions that I have can an athlete sign a partnership that goes kind of directly in contrast with a partnership that its school or team already has, right? So if I play for University of Texas, which is a Nike school, you know, can I sign a deal with, with Under Armour? You know, th those are one question. Another question, you know, is group licensing going to be available? You know, those are the types of deals that let you know, the college football video game happen again, or the college basketball video game, is that going to be allowed? Uh, are, are, are kids going to be able to work with their schools so that they can kind of share marks? You know, it's certainly more valuable if you're, you know, the, the head, the, the, the starting quarterback at Texas A&M, if you can appear in ads wearing a Texas A&M uniform, uh, that probably increases your, uh, your potential marketing value more than it does if you have to just show up in street clothes. Uh, so a lot of questions that the NCAA needs to be answered, I, can, I guarantee you that they will also be kind of pushing the, the preserving of amateurism in some form, uh, regardless of this. They're also kind of going to Congress right now hoping, kind of begging, praying that, that, that Congress will step in and, and, and protect them both from, from lawsuits and also from the kind of the more progressive state laws that I think got us to where to where we are right now. Uh, Michael Barr, you know, we, we spoke with Happy Walters last week about, you know, the, the financial benefits for a lot of elite high school basketball players who, in, instead of going to college basketball, go and play professionally in New Zealand or in Spain. Uh, and, and he mentioned one of his clients who made, you know, over a million dollars between his, his, his actual pay salary and, and his leaning shoe deal. Do we think that this maybe helps the NCAA tip the scales a little bit in that, you know, as, as Mike Lynch just said, if you're an elite high school player right now, going one year to college means that you're essentially putting your earning potential on hold. Under these new restrictions, there's at least some way out there where you can kind of capitalize on your fame and put some money in your, in your pocket while you're playing college basketball. Well, I, I agree with what was just said earlier, what Mike said, and, and what you're saying is that it, it, you at least put some money away for a young man. I mean, and I remember when I, I was 18, 19 years old, uh, and I had to borrow dad's car, and after you cranked it up, I could take $20 and take a date out and have a great time, and then go to the movies on that, too. Now, can you imagine today 
like you said, you have a Lamborghini and you got $100 bills in your wallet. But, and, and you have change after all that when you went to the movies and, and taking a date out to dinner. It may, it may have been Denny's, but still, I had a great date. And, and, and can you imagine today with a kid who's driving a Lamborghini and $100 bills? He's going to blow all that money. And not have anything saved away. At least this way, under this plan, you have some money socked away. And then later on in life, uh, if you want to invest in something, the money is there for you. You're not going to be broke. Yeah, I mean, we'll see exactly what the what the final you know ruling is in terms of what it's allowed, what the structure looks like. Personally, I'm fine with however, however they they want to spend it. I mean, the fact is, you know, they're, they're the college athletes right now are generating billions and billions of dollars and they are uh they're not seeing anything close to in my opinion kind of the requisite amount back uh for that so yes no question we will be hopefully you know starting you know they're going to vote on this finally next january the plan is for this to be in place for the school year that starts next summer so not this summer but the one after that uh but hopefully you know maybe a, a step in the right direction for the ncaa in terms of you know Getting, getting athletes and getting students, you know, so, so, so a little more freedom, financial freedom, especially to, to market themselves moving forward. This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports Podcast. I'm Michael Barr, along with Mike Lynch and Evan Novi williams We're here each and every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday exploring the world of money and sports. Join us again at the end of the week. We're speaking with Angela Ruggiero, co-founder of the Sports Innovation Lab, former Olympic athlete, former IOC member. It's going to be a good chat. And don't forget to subscribe to the Bloomberg Business of Sports show wherever you get your podcasts.